If you don't have your stealthy rifle cover yet, you can get one at stealthyhunter.com. Happy hunting! All right, Brady, tips for beginner glassers on choosing spots for each time of day, places, features to hone in on, basic stuff for those of us without much experience. So what are you doing for, uh, for your glassing? Like, um, what are your, what are your biggest tips for guys just getting into, uh, chasing mule deer? Biggest tip is going to be taking your binos and mounting those suckers on a tripod, sitting down, not skylining yourself on a ridge line, picking apart. That's a good one. Picking apart the little bit of train features that you can see in front of you, not just looking at it wide open. I think a lot of guys just go to those spots and think like, oh yeah, there's deer out in the wide open because you might, it might look like that sometimes when you're like, you know, watching some mule deer films, but there's probably some terrain right nearby that's holding those deer. And a lot of times in the morning, you know, it's going to be easier to glass an east facing slope in the morning and a west facing slope in the evening because you're not glassing at the sun, but reverse that and no one else is glassing those other faces during the morning and no one's glassing those other faces during the evening. So like it could be sometimes beneficial to, again, not just put all your eggs in one basket thinking like, oh, I'm just going to glass east facing because the morning, you know, that's where the sun hits first, but also that's the hottest part of the mountain first. So you glass yeah. the west side, it's going to be cooler and you get more yeah. glassing time, but it's going to be harder to see because you're glassing right into the sun. Yeah, I laugh at, I hear people answer that question on occasion. Like, do you always glass the, you know, with the sun to your back. I've heard that so many times and I always laugh when I hear it because I've literally, you see them on all sides. Like when yeah, it comes they, to they be, you see them on all sides. They literally be everywhere. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, they're not that predictable, fellas. But I think also um, it just comes down to, like again, the patient side. Sitting down and literally gridding an entire mountain inch by inch. And like, yeah, you're not going to start doing that at first with binos, but eventually you're going to, gridded enough where you recognize every little train feature on that side of the mountain. It could be a big burn you're looking at, which has a lot of different trees and a lot of different features, a lot of different nooks and crannies, but eventually you're gonna start glassing it up back and forth, which you're gonna start seeing more animals or seeing like little features of it. And like, even the thing too, um, is just knowing when to switch from binos to spotter and vice versa, because I think a lot of people just glass with their binos and move on with that's like, yeah, you can, you want to utilize that morning habitat and kind of glass a little bit more, but sometimes I'm like, well, I'm going to bust out my spotter right now, pick up some of the stuff that's far away because those animals are going to be bedded pretty soon. I'm never going to be able to see them once it's really sunny and all those heat waves come up. So I sometimes glass with my spotter in the early morning, collecting all those far, farther basins that I might get to later that day or two days from now and just kind of check them out, see what they kind of look like in the morning. Maybe I can pick up a deer. I might not be able to see a rack, but mm -hmm. at least just... Just trying to again pick. When up you say plan. when Brady says spotter, folks, he's talking like some serious, like Hubble telescope type stuff. Um, it's the Hubble. How heavy? How heavy is your spotter, Brady? I think it's right at seven pounds or a little bit above seven pounds. So that right, it's, it's, a, it's giant. So that's that one fifteen objective. So it's literally like a volleyball it's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. That's crazy big, but. The images are yeah. fantastic when we're looking through it. Um, yeah, so I uh, I got to hunt with you this spring, and um, 
you know, uh, you, you hunt with people, hunted with a lot of people over the years. And, uh, you can, you can tell pretty quickly, like who's going to be a really good spotter, like who's going to pick up stuff. And I've noticed with you, um, you know, you will focus on an area. You're, you're literally looking for parts of animals. You're looking for, for a leg. You're looking for whatever, um, little piece you can get, you know, an antler because you spend a lot of time looking in areas that most people would kind of just gloss right over, you know, the quickness with which most people glass is pretty telling. Now they see if you're bear hunting, bears pop generally, but they can be bedded too, and they can disappear on you. They could be in the shadows. Um, but when it comes to mule deer, you know, the gray coat of a late season mule deer, you better take your time and really focus, especially if you're looking into burns or, you know, low brush type areas where you have to find, it may be a white face, it may be an antler, it may be a leg sticking out straight, you know, when they're bedded, something like that. But it takes a real slow, methodical glassing over that country to pick those pieces up. And there's a lot of people that look right over mule deer all the time. It's literally the, like you said, the tiniest twitch of an ear sometimes, or even when you're looking into a burn, it's amazing how those antlers just blend right into a tree branch and you think it's nothing, you just glass right over it. Right. And even switching it up too, you know, even this last year, Joel Turner mentioned it. And then my dad, it was funny too, like around the same time said he watched this like military video, like training, like military snipers. My dad geeks out on all that stuff about long range shooting, all that stuff. But he's watching it and he texted me. He's like, hey, you got to watch this video. They're talking about glassing techniques and how they pick apart humans. I thought it was really interesting because I have to, like, we always read left to right. And, and, you know, but Mm -hmm. your eyes naturally move that way. So you're going to naturally move quicker that way. Then you switch that around, you go right to left, and it makes you slow down because your mind has to process all those images a lot lot slower to figure out what you're actually looking at so you're going to pick up details a lot sooner that was so funny that joel had mentioned the same thing in the western yeah. summit and then uh, yeah. my dad had mentioned it like literally i think either the week before or week after and i was like there's something to be said there when two people i highly respect are saying the same information on glassing and so i kind of switched it over now and i'm like it makes 100 success like thought, thought in my head like i tried it the summer scouting i'm like yes glassing like, we're probably, I'm not going to give out way too many, many things here about glassing. <laughs> right to left is an absolute game changer to, to try to do that. And just like realize, like, again, going super slow and methodical and literally clearing out all thoughts in your head when you're glassing. I think that's another str- struggle people have, too, is they think about too many things or they try to talk to their friend or listen to, listen to music, put some earbuds in because you're out in the wilderness by yourself and you need to feel like you're back home again. But like, clearing your thoughts and not thinking about anything. I think the mental side of glassing is so- I think, I think you just nailed why uh, Brian Call doesn't see very many animals. He's always got those earbuds in, listening to audio books. Yeah. I'm over there diligently glassing, you know, finding animals for him, all those kinds of things. I'm just kidding. But no, he, uh, he is always listening to earbuds. So oftentimes I think you're right. I think that's the case. Um, getting distracted can be very easy. And- uh, is he, is he even for guys, for guys like us, we're pretty quiet. We don't need conversation. And, um, and so, you know, I'm good with that. It's probably why we picked up so many animals up there. 
All right, what do we got? So we've kind of answered some of these vegetation, uh, midday hunting tactics. We could probably gloss over that one a little bit. Uh, one of the things I think for midday, you know, guys ask um, often, what do you do? Like, what do you do midday when it's slow? I think if you want to be average, you do what everybody else does and you let your foot off the gas and you go take a nap or you just keep glassing. Um, because look, bucks get up throughout the day. And, uh, if we're talking about late season, mid, mid to late season, you just never know when a buck's going to stand up and move or, you know, even on those hot days where it feels just ghostly out there and everything is dead quiet, they still get up, they still move around. They'll do a 360. Um, they may change locations with how the sun is hitting them. Um, it just pays. Now you're not going to see as many, obviously midday, typically, but all it takes is one and uh, you're going to miss opportunities if you put the glass away and go take naps with your buddies. And what are you out there for again? You're out there to hunt, right? Right. So I, so I right. want to utilize you can... every single second I have out there to finding an animal or even, you know, maybe it's just dropping down into some timber a little bit just to check out, you know, like, yeah, I might bump animals, but I might just be able to find a little piece of the puzzle. Like maybe there's a track down there. I didn't see that walked up a ridge line, And now I know there's a big buck up over the ridge next to me. It's like just doing little things like that. And I think too, middle of the day, that's when the power of the Hubble spotting scope comes into effect. Like Lily, it doesn't matter what size spotting scope you have, just use it. Like you pack all mm -hmm. that weight, you pack all that weight in there for a spotting scope. Now is the time use to grind it. and grid and just dive into shadows and start literally look in those shadows i think that's the hot take is a look into those shadows a lot um don't avoid them uh, it takes a much slower scan to uh look into those shadows so a lot of guys just breeze right over them they're not seeing seeing bucks out in the wide open shining like diamonds in the sunlight and they're not probably going to see a whole lot of that but um man you can really do well um just focusing on you might have to you know reap place yourself on the mountain to be able to see into those shadows. But that's something that can also kind of hold your attention is uh, moving as the sun moves and just make sure that you have the ability to see the backsides of those timbers and rocks. And, you know, you're not just looking on the sunny side. Yeah. Cause also like when that shadow's moving, eventually that deer is going to have to get up and rebed if he's embedded behind something that could expose him to sunlight. He hates deer hate the sunlight. So they're going to get up and move. And if you're not glassing, then you're not going to see him. I had an interesting Go question ahead. here that I, I pulled up. I wanted to make sure we covered because it makes me laugh reading it because it's, it's, it's pretty truthful here. So from Skylar Glore, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Backcountry mule deer pack weight. Seems no one is talking about the dirty truth of humping a large backpack into the mountains. So basically, what, 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 what's your pack weight roughly weigh when you go out there for like a Going seven? in? Okay. So I try to build my hunts into 10-day trips always, right? Um, so you're always going to be looking at about 20 pounds of food. Uh, if you're going for late season, my bags usually weigh out at about two pounds per day. That seems like a lot, but in those cold weather hunts, uh, that just is what works for me. Earlier season hunts, um, you know, September hunts, I just eat less, you know, and, uh, I can get away with, you know, a pound and a quarter pound and a half sometimes if I'm, but, but that's, that's just gonna, that's just inevitable. You got 20 plus pounds of food. Now you also got to figure in, are you packing water for yourself up to the top or do you have something available to you up there? So packs 
weights change drastically with water. I'm going to say on average going in, usually I start out with about a 30 without water. Um, I'm looking at a 55, six pound pack weight with rifle, with um, food, but that doesn't include water. Your food so is, they, I, they, they get pretty heavy. I've seen how much you eat. You're legit. You definitely carry at least two pounds of food a day. Yep. Yep. Which absolutely. That that's where I have to cut. I have to cut weight in my pack area around food to carry my spotting scope and to carry my heavy rifle. Yeah, you got two pieces that I don't carry. You've got about it looks to be about thirty pounds of rifle and, and optics that I don't have. So uh, yeah, I can I can eat well on the mountain. But I've also noticed that yeah, your food bags are pretty slim. Yeah, I actually have it right. I was actually <laughs> just doing a video on it earlier today. So people watching the video, it's literally not much there. That's one day. That's a 1.15 pounds. 1.15 pounds. See, man, I wish I could survive on, on that. I'd, I'd come out real skinny at 1.5 pounds for sure. Yeah, I just, I just kind of know like my pack's going to be, it's going to be heavy. But up until this point, I had some hunts. It's just, you got to be ready for it. You just got to know these are coming like these late season hunts are some of my favorite because this is the time when you find yourself in the nastiest of country or at least i do i think you do as well just the steepest nastiest most rugged terrain possible and we it usually takes a lot of miles to get there there's no exceptions you have to be in shape for these type hunts that we want to do i know you work out a ton seems like you've upped your game this year when it comes to working out I, i've been really trying i've been trying Yep. Pack weight. It, it definitely varies um, significantly. Now I'm always the guy that packs the tent stove, all that kind of stuff as well. That will add weight. When you talk about bringing a, you know, even a SLX type stove, a little bit larger stove, you know, I hunt with Brian a lot. That guy's pack weight is usually 70 plus pounds. You know, he's got camera gear. You know, I think he's got about 18 to 20 pounds of camera gear on him. So you got to be able to carry that. I mean, he's a stud uh, in what he can carry. He's very slow, very, very slow, but what, he can pack he, a lot of weight. You know what say? He's like a diesel engine? A diesel engine. Yeah, he'll get there. It's going to take a while, but yeah, slow and steady. Yeah, that was a that was a good question. How do you stay motivated when you're not finding tons of, ton, not finding game, tons of does, tons of all other species? But no mule deer bucks. So you're out there, you're finding does, you're finding, you're seeing mountain carp, you're seeing goats, you're seeing all this stuff, but you're not finding muley bucks. How do you stay motivated? Easy answer is because there's one out there somewhere. You just got to put in the work and find them until that tag is is filled. There should always be motivation. You know, I think there's there should be a drive there. Again, goes back to whatever it's going to take. Maybe you're just in the wrong area. You got to put some miles on and change location. There's nothing as motivating as going to see what's over the next ridge, going checking out your secondary spot or your third option or your fourth option that you've hopefully pre-scouted in your mapping and you've got other areas to go look at. Motivation should never be in question. I don't feel like on a hunt like this. Um, I, I think we're almost cut too much from the same cloth because I don't know what I would change from your answer because every single day I'm super excited for what I might see, even if I haven't seen anything for three or four days. And yeah, that could just mean I'm in a low density deer unit, which a lot of these are, but that could just could also mean there is one giant 
somewhere close by that I seem to find them. And then even just motivates me to like sitting up late at night in my tent, looking at my map, just trying to figure out maybe there's something I missed earlier when I was looking at this area that now maybe I can pick up in my tent. I've seen this stuff firsthand. I take pictures all the time when I'm out there hiking around of terrain features I see throughout that hunt. Maybe it was some, I look back at a photo and I see, well, that ridgeline's over there, put up my map, figure out how I can get around to glass it. And it's like, again, that's that one more ridge thing. It's like, I want to go over there now because I haven't been there yet. I've only seen does here. We're hunting the nursery. It's got to, I don't know. Every day I'm excited. Yeah. I'm giddy all the time. And like, yeah, I might be down. I might be, you know, a little bit frustrated sometimes, but just knowing that eventually it's going to happen. And I just got to put in the time and effort to make it happen. I think with experience, as you've seen these scenarios play out, oftentimes and like you mentioned low density areas yeah i remember being frustrated in those type places when i was younger but then you know you have some success you start to realize there may be two three days of pretty slim pickings when you're for what you're glassing up but then it just takes one and then you're on that buck your trip's over you had the best trip of your life um with a massive animal big old mature crusty and it, it I think over time, I mean, once it, it keeps, you continue to see it happen. And these low deer density areas are, yeah, they can really probably test a younger hunter's patience because they always feel like they should be somewhere else. But the motivation is always there because there's still going to be some deer there. They're generally, I mean, unless you're seeing absolutely nothing. Experience tells me at this point, at this stage of my game, it only takes one time. Motivation throughout the day, every day is always going to be there. It's just been too many times where as soon as that, as soon as you start thinking it's not going to happen, it happens like a light switch, uh, happens with everything it happens with elk often mule deer, just the same. I think just staying positive, staying motivated, uh, telling yourself that it could happen at any time, any given day, that's going to work wonders in the end. Yep. I think even a good thing too, if you have an in reach or any of these satellite messaging things, shoot a message to one of your best buddies, if you're up by yourself, like ask them a question or maybe say, Hey man, give me some motivation right now. Like give me some words of advice. Like we were talking about this haunt, like, you know, I was excited going here. Like just maybe he could help you out by whatever your friend will say to you to keep you driving. Like, bro, you've been thinking about this all year. Like this is your one, one hunt right now. What do you, you know, get, get out there right now. It might be snowing. It might be raining, but like you can chill, find a way to hunt if it's snowing or raining, do some still hunting, like whatever it may be, try to cut some tracks. Like, drop lower elevation, go higher. I don't know. Yeah, text, text, text your most positive buddy who's working that day yeah. and he'll tell you what a fool you're being for uh, getting unmotivated. All right. During September, what's your uh, next move when you're finding a lot of does question from a Washington hunter. This is uh Riley, Riley, like Lucci. Gosh, my best answer for that. Uh, and it's probably not always the case, but if I'm seeing does, in September, where I like to chase bucks, I'm looking in the wrong areas for the most part. Something I've noticed in those high alpine basins is I don't see a lot of does. You know, I'm seeing groups of bucks, 99% bucks, if I'm being honest, in a lot of these places where I'm, I'm just up there to try to locate mature bucks. Uh, I feel like if I'm seeing does, if I want to see does, I'm going to go look at that mid-range country in that lower country in those in those flats and um the places that i'm really focusing my efforts i'm doing something wrong if i'm seeing a lot of does 
uh, in September when I'm up there trying to find those upper elevation type bucks. All the other states I've been to before since September, either archery or muzzleloader, it's always, if they're finding the does, that's literally the nursery and you either got to go higher or utilize the mountain differently. And most cases it usually is they're higher in some nastier country that you're just not looking in. Uh, another question, uh, Ben, Lay Bobber, use of trail cams ever come into play for either you on those deep backcountry bucks? No, not for me. Just don't use trail cams. Uh, it's not my playbook. You? Same with me. Never, never use trail cams from mule deer and any sort of backcountry, high country hunt at all. I don't want to go back there and get them. That's probably why. Yeah, a lot of high buck Washington questions here. It's funny. How do you try to find a specific unit? to hunt well that's a great question for brady miller who works at go hunt how do you find that unit brady yep to me it's it's just narrowing down again it comes back to the experience and kind of what i'm looking for in a hunt i want a place that's remote i want a place that seems to be difficult maybe in a sense because maybe i don't always base my thoughts on harvest success when i'm looking at a unit i don't i don't really maybe it's like i think like you know maybe see people didn't harvest for certain reasons. Maybe there's big giant deer in there and people are just holding out, but like, I don't play a lot of thought on harvest success, especially I'm looking at, you know, when I have insider on filtering 2.0, I usually don't use that filter quite a bit. I usually just, you know, use other things I can use in there. Like mapping, mapping to me is probably one of the most powerful things or just mainly because I want to see what that public land looks like in that unit. Like I'm totally comfortable with diving into a unit that might only be 30, 40% public, maybe even a little bit less, but that public looks like it's in good habitat for mule deer. Like that's the place that there's gonna be people who can avoid it. It was low success because there's a lot of private in there, but it could be a great spot to hone in on deer if that, if that public is in some good mountain range is actually gonna hold deer. And like, it varies from state to state, honestly, but it's just, Literally diving in there, seeing what see what tag numbers are, seeing how many residents, non-residents hunt these areas. Also seeing in some of these places I go to in other states, like what is the elk pressure like? A lot of these states I hunt, there's there's elk hunting going on at the same time. And if it's a if it's a unit that has a ton of people elk hunting and I'm there at the same time and my season's very short, that might be something I take into consideration where I look at the unit next door that historically doesn't see a lot of elk pressure because they're probably not a big elk herd in there. That's one I'm going to key in on because yeah, there's, there's deer where there's, where there's elk. There's a lot of hunters where there's elk and you know, elk hunters will spook deer just the same as deer hunters spook deer. So it's literally just, like I said, I'm already thinking about play, where I'm going to hunt next year. Like it sounds crazy, but I'm already been, you know, manipulating some of the filter things we have on filtering 2.0 to hone in on these units, figure out what points I have and just look at, well, I want to hunt steep and nasty. So I'm going to crank on some of these, uh, you know, elevation bands and our mapping service to try to like highlight some of these different zones. I know will hold mule deer, highlight that across the whole state. I can zoom out on a state on our maps and see these little elevation bands and be like, well, all that little ridge line right there, that looks like a good, good unit. And I don't really know anything about it because I haven't zoomed in on it, but then I, you know, jump back over to like filtering 2.0 or figure what draw odds might be for that unit. All of a sudden I realize, well, there's a couple, you know, highly coveted units right nearby that take a lot of points, but then there's just one that's just kind of floating around in the middle. That's kind of being forgotten. You know, it's a redhead step trial unit that people are like, Oh yeah, there's no deer in there, but it's like meets all that same criteria as those big trophy units do nearby. And why is that trophy unit a trophy unit? Look at the habitat there and 
compare it to some of the other places and like eventually you start to like figure out that puzzle of these quote unquote forgotten units are easy to draw stuff because I don't ever bank tag or bank points in any sort of Western state. So I'm looking at places I can hunt every single year and that's going to be places that's yeah, higher pressure and you just got to kind of work at it differently and figure out which unit could benefit you based on if you're a guy who loves a glass or you just want an adventure and you want to ride around your side-by-side or ATV, like there's units for that too. But I, I want a place like glass, big country and go steep and nasty. So I kind of hone in on that based on mapping and based on filtering stuff and just trying to pick up tags. I mean, it literally, sometimes it could be just closing your eyes and throwing a dart and map and all of a sudden you look at it and like, wow, that unit looks pretty good. Let's save him for later. And I don't know, it's, it's hard to narrow them down, but like you start thinking about it and how you like can utilize it and just do this stuff every single night. Like, would you rather watch Netflix or would you rather scout from the old air on the computer and research units? I'd rather research units. Oh, there's just, there's just so many opportunities out there, Brady. I mean, there's just so much, you know, um, if you're a, if you're a mule deer hunter, backcountry hunter, or just hunter, hunter in general, like, you can just never get bored. There's, there's so many playgrounds out there. Like I just, you know, as I, as I sit here and I learned Montana since I moved here four years ago, I don't know how many mountain ranges we have, but there's a lot and it's going to take more more years than I have left to try to learn all these places. So it's exciting to continually try to figure out new places, whether it's on a summer hiking trip or, or, you know, even just scouting while I'm hunting this year for next year in an areas, man, it's just so fun. It's just such a, it's just never ending. There's just so many opportunities in so many places. And we're very blessed to have the, uh, the country here in my, in the great state that we can go to and, uh, and not have to, really worry about ever losing or running out of territory because man i don't even know how many places i still have yet to check out never ends backcountry lessons you've learned that would have been helpful in the beginning like what did uh young brady do wrong that wasn't very effective mm-hmm. and what does old man brady do now differently i did everything wrong when i started yeah. i look i look i look back on some of these old photos you know borrowing my dad's backpack throwing this giant silly sleeping bag that I thought I needed, not knowing how to pack a bag even. Like I used to rock my sleeping bag on the outside of my pack bouncing on my butt. Like, oh, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it'd end up on the top, like right yeah. around my head. Sometimes it'd be down on the bottom of the pack. What a mess. I think a lot of it just came down to knowing what gear I could use and what gear I could eventually afford and upgrade. Because like once I started narrowing down, getting a quality backpack getting a quality sleeping bag, getting some boots I really enjoy, and then just some optics too. Like if I cover those bases, I can pretty much do whatever I need to do hunting mule deer. And I've gone through it back in the day where I was like, you know, my first pair of binos, and I think of the first pair of spotter, spotting scope I had. I look at them now, I don't have them anymore, but I think back to it and I was like, wow. <laughs> what was I doing thinking I could just save some money and buy some, you know, a cheaper pair of optics that wasn't going to work for my situation because I would, I would glass up some bucks so far away thinking they were absolute giants. Like I just had the biggest deer ever in my, my spotting scope hike all the way over there because the thing's just, you know, edge to edge clarity wasn't very good. It was slightly blurry. I get all the way over there and it's just like barely a bigger than a fork and horn, but mm-hmm. just looked so big. And I was so stoked about seeing it that like, I just didn't have, what I needed at the time, which is fine at, you know, in the beginning, but it's like, 
just realizing what gear can make me a more successful hunter and just like knowing about backpacking and knowing how to, you know, load a backpack. What do I need nutritionally? Like I used to go back with way too much food and just silly little things like that. And thinking I needed all the, you know, lightweight gear at some point and go back there and you hike with your rain gear for two seconds and all of a sudden your rain gear is just torched, you know, it's all ripped apart. Like you go through highs and lows of just figuring out what you did wrong and how to fix it now. But I think we all went through the stages of um, just packing way too much gear. And over time, you know, I feel like uh, in the beginning you take too much and then you hit a point where you take too little and it's getting a little uncomfortable and then you kind of settle in the middle after, after that and you bring a few things that are built around a little bit more comfort on the mountain. I feel like that's where I'm at now. I think one of the lessons that I would point out when I think of my younger self, I was almost too aggressive back in the day. I was so gung-ho to do, to go wherever it took. But then when I got there, I didn't have the patience to allow it to happen. And so I would go wherever, like I would, I would put the 10 miles in, but then I'd get there and there could be big old giant muley tracks all over the trail. But if I don't see that thing within 10 minutes, I remember a big old opening over there I can go look at. So I'd, I'd bomb and move and, and, um, you know, I'd be traveling during those hours when I should be sitting on my butt and glassing and spending the time. And so I didn't have the patience. Uh, I didn't let things happen and, and play out like I should have too aggressive too too in the mindset of like, I can, if I hike, enough like if i just keep sweating and keep putting on more miles eventually there will be one there and i couldn't tell you how many situations i probably messed up and uh, i walked away from bucks that were probably coming out and feeding within 10 15 minutes of me leaving and looking at a new spot but my patience sucked back in the early days and uh, i think i'm way better at that now more willing to do what it takes to get there but then have the patience to sit it out you know, give it some time to materialize. If you're in an area where there's a lot of sign, there's bucks there, there's deer there. Don't just walk away and expect the grass is always going to be greener because it's definitely not, definitely a fine line. Not necessarily mule deer specific. This is from Wild Wyoming. Uh, when you're heading in for a big trip, say seven plus miles, and you have backup plans, are those typically just hopping into a different drainage or heading to a new spot completely? What are you looking for? I guess for backup plans, we all have them. Are you adjusting while you're back there or are you making backup plans that would require you to hike all the way back to the trailhead, hit the truck and drive somewhere completely different? That is my last option always. I really don't like to go down back to my truck and totally relocate to a new area because I feel like you've learned something while you're in that spot and you just need to adjust while you're there. You just need to fine tune it. You know, it'd be like, I can't think of an example right now, but like doing something and then just giving up on it and like, oh yeah, I like my Chevy pickup and I, I want to give up on it right now because this is new and nice over here and I need to leave and go get a different brand or whatever. But like, I'm there. I want to have that backup plan on that same little mountain range. How can I work a different ridge line or even just bomb off and go straight down and climb up something else on the other side? Like I'm there. I just need to use, utilize that terrain differently. And yeah, I do have spots for sure that I've, I've marked and kind of pre-planned that I could hike out to my truck and relocate, but I really don't want to do that. It hurts my soul to think about doing that and like the wasted energy I had climbing all the way up there when I could just now 
figured out a way to stay up in the mountains longer and do something different in the, the same area on that. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I don't want to hike all the way out. You know, there's special occasions like that time I mentioned when the snow came in and the, just the area vacated because of the elevation that I was in. But generally, 99% of the time, my backup plans, they may be a mile. They may be a few miles, maybe five or six miles away from my number one spot. They're not going to be that far away. But my, I'm not wanting to hike all the way back and hop in that rig and completely change mountainsides if if avoidable. So I'm with you on that one. That doubt will creep in your mind. Like, should I maybe just, uh, you know, sleep in my truck tonight and not hike back in or go get a nice yeah. meal at some restaurant? And yeah. We're going to miss some pretty valuable time, glass yeah. and time especially. Here's a question from Jesse Ramirez. Uh, what's your average time spent glass in an area until it's time to move on to the next? Um, your preferred glassing setup, binos, or spotting scope. So this is a question you get all the time. I feel like yep. this one pops up more than almost any other question. It's how much time do you spend before you decide the spot sucks? It's time yep. to move, go to spot number two. My answer is uh, it, it really varies on the terrain you're looking at. You know, there's areas where they're heavy heavily timbered and you're not able to see everything and then there's areas where you're literally looking at everything like you're seeing it if they're there you're going to see it you may spend uh, a morning and then an evening and if if you're not seeing it probably a good time to move on but um, then there's places where i'll be it's going to take me a few days there's different little vantage points in this giant basin that i need to check off the list before i pack up and move you know, different times of the day, it's timbered, there's little pocket openings here and there. If I don't feel like I've covered it, probably going to spend a lot more time. So yeah. it just varies with each hunt, hunt to hunt. Yeah, I would I would never just base my whole opinion on if I should stay or leave based on an evening hunt. No, like, you always have to add some extra another morning in there to check things out. And like you said, even, even if you're on one ridge, and you're glassing across to another ridge, like if you can loop around to that ridge you were glassing and then glass back towards camp, you'd be surprised sometimes how many deer are right below where you're at. You just can't see it because you're on that same face. Like mm -hmm. there is so much little bits of topography when you start nailing down one little tiny area that you can keep glassing. Like, like you said, like there's, if it's super open, you can see it really easy, sure. But like some of the places I like to hunt where they're thickly timbered or it's like a burn with a bunch of nasties in it, like might want to spend a little more time checking it out because the, the the big giant monsters, you know, they come out of that dark timber every now and then. And that's, I want to be there ready and be able to see them when they do and not just give up on an area that's because it's thick or hard to see. Absolutely. I'm with you. All right. This might be our last question. We've gone through quite a few. I don't know where we're at for time, but it's been a long one. Uh, Brian Thompson. It's kind of a statement slash question. So early late season scenarios, Utah early rifle season as we speak, hunting around eight to 9,000 tons of does, hardly any bucks. Hmm. I think, I think again, it comes back to just the, those bucks are utilizing that terrain differently right now than those does are. And I've, I've hunted the early, the, the season he's mentioning right now. And it can be very hard in that state to find bucks because all the terrain does look exactly the same. They're mm -hmm. at least the places I've been to they're like literally the habitat looks the same. 
all the ridges look the same, but there's areas that there just is bucks and there's areas that there literally is no bucks. And it's still, I haven't been able to pin it down why. There could be does there. And like I've seen some places where there's literally 20, 30 does and you're not seeing anything and you can't go really go any higher because you're already at the top. Mm-hmm. But it's just certain states are just weird, especially that high desert type stuff. If it's, you know, maybe some of that PJ type country, but like you might just have to start figuring out other ridges you can go on, or maybe even sometimes in that country. And you, like, I drop lower even like you can even drop low and start glasses and that stuff, because there is some bucks that just are resident bucks that just hang out low and will never do anything. Especially mm-hmm. in Utah. Like it's, they're there somewhere. I think you just got to really dig them out and the glass is going to be your friend, but also it might just be walking around finding tracks. Like even in some of that dry, some of that dry country, you can find some tracks right now, and just find buck sign. Yeah, what I'm getting at here, or what he's getting at, I think, like he's seeing tons of does, hardly any bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just the fact that you're hardly seeing any bucks would tell me you need to move, go check out new country, especially this time of year, well before the rut. Uh, Just because you're seeing does, does aren't going to hold me anywhere. Um, not until late season. So this time of year, early season, the fact that there's a lot of does there, that's not going to get me too excited just because I know how separated they can be at times. You know, yeah, you see a ton of deer in places. Those aren't the places that I'm generally going to focus my time. I'm looking for those areas where I'm probably not seeing a ton of deer, if I'm being honest. Uh, Low density areas tend to produce more mature bucks. At least that's what I've noticed my opinion so man i think we've i don't know how many questions we just answered there brady it seemed like a lot i don't know if you have any more on your end that you wanted to go through but uh but i feel like we checked quite a few boxes when it comes to mule deer we hit a lot of different areas that i think are really key and i think it i mean there's a lot of different themes or pretty much very similar themes in here too it's it's pretty telling just i mean our two styles of how we go about things and it's just that's just kind of what makes mule deer hunting exciting because it's it's hard. It's hard, but the, the adventures, what what exactly excites all of us is just getting out there and just experiencing these crazy wild places that these these bucks live in. Drives, it drives me it drives me insane thinking about them all year, and now it's finally here, and it's like time to time to figure out all that stuff I was working towards. The whole yeah, thing. and we're right on the cusp of, uh, of getting out there for it. So look, all we need is a little weather and uh, all my stresses go away because um, I know what happens when we get those, those big systems come through and uh, you chop off a couple thousand feet with snow on the top and good things happen. But yeah. um, you know what, If even if we don't get it, you know, I think you and I, we're, we're gonna bust our hump and do whatever it takes go a little higher, probably end up putting more miles on, on hunts where, you know, we're not getting that snow pushing them to us. We got to go find them. You know, I, I do hunt a lot of places these days where the density is very low and you could have, a, you could have a, a 10 day hunt where you may see a couple bucks um, and feel lucky that you saw them with no good weather conditions. And then the weather changes and the next day you're looking at a dozen bucks and so um you just never know but definitely not going to uh just kind of rest and nap and even with 70 degree days up there it's going to be a grind 
going to make it happen. See a lot of new country, if nothing else. And, uh, you know, if it's one of those years where you just don't lay eyes on the big buck, we're always scouting for next year and always um, trying to figure out other little um, kind of hidey holes that might produce in, uh, in the future. Yeah, I'm I'm already thinking how much weight I'm going to lose, and I don't have much weight to afford to lose. So, it's dude, gonna... one pound, one pound, one. What'd you say, one point one five pounds of food? Yeah, man, all that muscle. You're going to lose all that muscle. You'll but I'm little, that's what always happens. I try to bulk up as much as I can, and I'm going to lose it all instantly. Yeah. I I'm, I think I lost weight just sitting here because you know my body just burns calories super fast. So, <laughs> and then I get the excitement of chasing mule deer and just want to go further and further and. Yeah, it's going to be silly. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, last question, I guess. Uh, biggest piece of advice for those getting ready. They're like you. They haven't gotten out on a hunt yet this year, but they're all in. They took their vacation time for mid to late October. Uh, I know that's when a, the lion's share of guys are going for it. You know, there's a lot of states that don't have don't have open um rut hunts like montana does throughout november so this mid to late october give your best advice for those guys heading out with the tag I, i'm gonna say it's just again finding finding that spot that you can do most of your just do justice with your glassing in some of these areas that are not big and open find some of these smaller timber pockets right now because we're not going to have the weather we're gonna have to be we're gonna have to be super high glassing tight timber pockets the bucks are going to be in the timber. They're not going to be moving around too much. So it's like, literally, I'm going to be spending so much time behind my optics. A lot of time is going to be spent behind my spotting scope because like literally some of these bucks just, I might not see them in the morning because they could be feeding in all that edge habitat that they have. They don't have to come out in the open right now. And there's not a whiff of rut yet until a little bit later. So it's like literally finding ridge lines where I can glass quickly, glass a little different pockets, move to a different pocket, try to check it out and just, I don't know, not giving up because it's going to be hard right now for a little while for guys who are going out this year, at least in some of the areas that I've been looking at where I got tags. And literally also it's just, I think right now the most thing, best thing you can do too, if you got a hub coming up is literally start laying down all your gear, literally looking at every piece of gear you're going to pack. Not, not questioning it, but just literally making sure you have it all ready because I know a lot of people have done it before too. You forget something really important on a hunt and that could be a deciding factor of how long you can stay out there before you have to go back and uh, resupply something. So like right now I'm literally have Excel sheets and chicken scratch on pieces of paper, making sure I have everything checked off. What sort of, you know, things I need to bring backups and that sort of thing. I think that's what sets you apart, Brady, is you're always thinking about it. Um, always preparing for, for that next big trip. And, um, you know, right now I'm the same. I'm, everything is ready. Um, Everything is laid out, uh, always working on something, getting the truck prepared. So no breakdowns, making sure everything's good there. Uh, nightmare situation if you have a, a truck issue or, or you can't get yourself unstuck from something. So always just thinking about what's going to make the trip best. Um, so real quick, uh, anything you want to talk about that you guys got going on over at Go Hunt right now that guys should maybe check out? Yeah, we got a way a lot of great things going on. I mean, the biggest one right now is literally we're almost giving you maps for free in a way with our you know 50 50 50 promo so basically we have 50 states for 50 bucks and we're giving you 50 points back to the go hunt gear shop i think you could say that's free yeah i mean in my mind it's free yeah so yeah. it's like we we want to be able to get you 
mapping stuff in your hand because you can use it on the web, you can use it, you know, and out in the field. And at the same time, everyone does need gear, whether it's replacing some gear, whether it's getting some food, you know, or they're getting some new socks, like, and you can save up all those points and then use them later. And the greatest thing about the Go One Gear Shop and how everything kind of ties together, like we have a big complete system from insider to maps to the shop. And one point is $1 in the shop. So literally that 50 points is 50 bucks. That's why that basically you get your maps for free and you get some gear in your hands. Spend 50 bucks, get 50 bucks Yeah, to spend just, in the go on gear shop. Yeah. Just yeah. Use, use promo code. Easy. I, think it's, I think it's fall 50 is a promo code and gets you set up for that. And like at the same time too, like, you know, start literally looking at maps, looking at gear, figuring out what you need because we have so much stuff going on in Gohan and sometimes I forget like all the different things that we do, but like it literally is a complete ecosystem from start to finish. It's a 365 day product research to getting tags in your pocket to getting gear in your hands to then figuring out all your e-scouting stuff. And like I said, like I keep talking about it, but I'm already thinking about next year because it's that exciting and I want to be well ahead of it right now. And we just got a lot of cool things coming. I wish I could. I wish I could dive into some of the sweet stuff we're working on. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be good on the insider side. It's gonna be good on the map side. And uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun you know twenty twenty three coming up here for Gohan because we got a lot of different irons in the fire, a lot of different cool things that'll help people out and just make things you know, not easier, but just understand things a little bit more and you can yeah. get the right tools in your pocket to uh, make success because. We, I think sometimes it's hard to think that like, you know, we all live out or we live out West. So it's a little bit easier, but those guys from the East coast looking to hunt mule deer for the first time, like I want them to come out mule deer hunting and I want them to love it because at the end of the day, more hunters is, you know, better for everyone. So we need to get people excited agree about more. some of these cool places that we have. Yep. Nope. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Well, cool. Yeah. I'll be excited to see what you guys come up with next. You guys are always, uh, always pulling things out of the hat over there. So I'd love to, I'd love to get you back on after mule deer season, maybe first part of December. And we can kind of revisit kind of how our seasons went, talk about the good, bad things that worked, maybe share some stories. So hopefully we got some success stories. We'll see, but never know. Hey man, so any we'll, story is a good story. We'll have to do this again, Brady, but I appreciate your time. Thanks for everything. I feel like we've knocked out quite a few questions. So it was yeah, good. Yeah, thank appreciate you having me on. I mean, I could talk to Mueller all day, especially all these questions. So yep, for sure. All right. We'll hop off here and uh, hopefully get this, get another one knocked out end of the season. Thanks, Brady. All right. Take care. See you.